I'm just going to worship you, God, freely in the country. Lord, let's not, let us not take that for granted. And uh, guys, we jump into just vision and what you have for us. I pray that, God, we would just be content, wanting to grow, that we would want to be disciple makers, Lord. You said, therefore, go and make disciples. And just as Anthony did uh, that exercise with us, I pray we'd encourage each other. I pray we'd sharpen each other. And I pray we would just be faithful to the vision you've given us for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was sitting there with a friend of mine, and he played in the NBA. Had a good career, not a great career. And after his career, he's around 40, 45 right now. I was sitting there looking at him, and I was sitting there thinking, man, I would choose my life over his life any day of the week. It's not because I wouldn't want to be in the NBA. It's because that's all he pursued with his life. It had become ultimate. Very successful. He played in the Euro League. And that's what I wanted with my life growing up, right? I wanted the fame, the fortune. I didn't get the beautiful wife. One out of three, you know, I've told you before. But that's what I wanted as I sat there, as I looked into my friend's eyes, and he's not a believer, but he's a good dude, really good dude. I was like, man, he had everything that I wanted. And man, at the same time, there was just that emptiness of missing the point. I think about my friend, he's a great guy. Fantastic guy. I'd love to introduce you to him sometime, but as I think about my friend, I was like, I would not trade lives with him. But that's exactly what I wanted at a point in my life. Man, this vision about making disciples, that as believers, we actually get to join God with His purpose. From the very beginning, God said, uh, He told Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. God has been inviting man to His plan from day one. And as a, as a new Christian, I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but the guy who led me to Christ said, do you want to make disciples? And I was like, okay. I didn't know what that meant, but I was like, yes, I want to be a part of it. Um, his name was Biblehead Ted. I thought he might beat me up if I said no, but, you know, he started talking to me about making disciples, and I thought that's what it was about. And as I've tried to be a part of God's plan, at times it, it hasn't been easy. At times it's been like, what am I doing? But I do know this. It's the greatest vision we can live for. And as we've talked about growing in God's Word, as we've talked about growing in prayer, as we've talked about growing in fellowship and evangelism, all these things. Today, what we want to talk about is actually being a disciple maker. What does that mean? It kind of means like Mr. Miyagi, right? Trained up Daniel's son. He was making disciples in a practical way. You know, you go from getting married, having a kid. That's your first disciple. But you don't really make a disciple until you have grandkids, right? So we see all these pictures of it physically. But I was really challenged this week as I was talking to Tandy. It was like, uh, she has this business plan for this business she's in. And I was like, man, they make disciples in business sometimes better than the church makes disciples with people. And today, God wants us to make disciples. We're going to look at a man named Barnabas. And what I titled this talk today was, is this, an unlikely disciple maker. 
But I think Barnabas, as we look at the, the talk today, we're going to see he might be one of the greatest disciple makers in the Bible. And I just want to look at three traits that he has that I, want, that I want to have more, that I want you to have more, but I think that we have to have if we want to be disciple makers. And the first one is this. The first non-negotiable trait of a disciple maker is that they are generous. See, Barnabas lived a life open-handedly to the Lord. So we see him in the, in the book of Acts. And let me just give you a little background here. He's randomly mentioned. You know, the book of Acts is the history of how the church started. And Barnabas is randomly mentioned here. And what we see with Luke, Luke wrote Acts. Quick, quick tribute for you. Luke wrote the most content in the New Testament. Paul wrote the most books, but it's just kind of a fun tribute for you. But Luke would often kind of just mention a character early, and then he would draw it out later in the book. So, so he's name-dropping him. But another reason he mentions him right here is because right after this, we're going to see a very famous story. Let me just read it to you real quick. It's Acts 5, 1 through 5. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to, to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart you have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard of it. So we see this picture of someone who wasn't generous, right? It wasn't about that Ananias and Sapphira were giving or not giving. They said they were doing this, and they weren't. And it was a bad thing to lie to God. So you have this picture of these, this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who weren't living with an open hand to the Lord. So the other reason we see this story here is we see a contrast of what it looks like to live open-handedly. Barnabas means the son of encouragement. He was a Levite. But here's what it says about him. Now Joseph, a Levite of superior birth who was called Barnabas by the apostles, which translate means son of encouragement. This guy was an encourager. Do you guys have an encouraging friend in your life? This was Barnabas. Are you an encouragement to others? And listen to what it says and who owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Man, is this open-handed living? He sold property, and he said, man, we're going to lay this at the apostles' feet. This is a form of worship. Giving is a form of worship. We're going to lay it at their feet. And it's contrasted to these others. Man, do you live open-handedly before the Lord? I think one of the reasons the church blew up in the first century in a good way and spread was because, yes, there were people who were holding on, but a lot of the believers were living open-handedly. They said, God, I'm going to give you my time, my treasure, and my talent. I'm going to put it before you and say, God, whatever you want to do with it, here it is. But as we know, when we're babies, we come out of the womb holding on to things. We come on holding on, and Barnabas said, God, I want to put it all on the table for you. And it revealed that Barnabas' heart 
was he had been revolutionized by the good news. Jesus was his treasure. And he lived like this. See, God wants us all to be generous. And this isn't just a financial thing, guys. I, I rarely talk about money. Obviously, this was a money thing. But how generous are you with your treasure? Because there's three things we could live open-handedly with. We could live open-handedly with our time. We could live open-handedly with our talents. As we saw Joy up here and Justin's doing the sound right as I talk. And we could live open-handedly with our treasure. And Barnabas said, God, I'm giving you everything. This is a form of worship. Giving is an act of worship. He lived a life of extreme generosity. Guys, I think we talk about generosity. Who in here wants to be ungenerous? Who wants to be Scrooge in here? Anybody? I was like, man, I want to be the most ungenerous. No, no one says that, right? But if we want to be generous, we got to start where we're at. We don't need to start and say, man, I want to do this. We need to say, where am I at? And what's that step of generosity for me? Because what I think we like to do is we like to offer up God our leftovers. Does that make sense? We like to say, God, I'll give you, I'll give you this. It's not really going to cost me much, but I'll give you this. No, Bar- Barnabas said, God, I'm going to sell my property and I'm going to lay it at your feet as a sign of worship. I like the story of Abraham. It would have been a lot easier for Abraham to offer off Ishmael, right? God, take the, the non-promised son. <clears throat> but he laid up Isaac on the altar. We want to give on our own terms when it's comfortable. And I love this story so much of the young man who was in a worship service and they were putting the offering table. Uh, they put a plate in the front, front of the church and the young man that was 10 years old, he didn't have any money. And he goes up to the offering and he actually sits in the offering plate. And he said, God, here I am. And I think that's a great picture of the heart of worship. Where's your heart at? Are you living open-handedly before God with your time, your treasure, and your talent? Are you offering God your very best? Or are you like the people in the Old Testament who would look for the worst cow to sacrifice and say, man, I'm going to give the cow that has an eye out. Because God wants us to live open-handedly like Barnabas. Okay, so the first thing, if we want to be a disciple maker, is we got to live open-handedly. And it's, it's, one last thing I want to say about that is when I became a believer, I was around some great people who taught me lots of great things. And you know, I could get in a ministry mindset mode. I mean, I could go out and just do things to do it that are the right things. But as I was preparing this, I was thinking to myself, man, the tools are great, right? How to share the gospel is great. But man, if my heart's not right, it doesn't matter. And God wants our hearts to be right before him. The next non-negotiable trait of a disciple maker is that they have vision. See, Barnabas saw what Paul could look like if Jesus was in his life. Paul saw Paul is someone who, if Jesus consumed his life, he would be a world changer. Aren't you glad that Jesus is the ultimate disciple maker? Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't see you right now? What if Jesus saw you at every worst moment of your life? Man, that guy's a lying thief. He has no chance. But Barnabas saw what Paul could be. 
Let's look at the disciples saw him first. When the disciples saw Paul, they saw a man who could not be trusted. They saw an enemy. Acts 9.26 says this, When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. Now, let's, let's cut him a little slack, right? I mean, if Osama bin Laden was still alive and he became a Christian, would you invite him over for tea? Okay. This dude was for real, right? Like he was killing Christians. So you, we get that there's some hesitancy. Would you invite him to church? Osama? Hey guys, Nate, I'm warning you, get a security guard because Osama's coming today. I get it. The disciples didn't trust him. But here's what Barnabas saw. Barnabas, when he looked at Saul, now Paul, saw a man who could literally change the world for Jesus. 927 says this, But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road that he had talked to him. And how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. Man, isn't that amazing? Barnabas saw this guy who was killing Christians speak boldly about Jesus. And you know what he said? He said, this guy is the real deal. This guy knows God, and this guy needs to be involved with what's going on here. Guys, let's talk about Paul just for a second. Man, Paul needed a Barnabas in his life. Do you guys remember the other person who kind of invested in Anybody know? I'll give you just one second to think about it. Really give me some Bible trivia. Ananias, remember? The, the eyes had the scales on him, and Paul had people mentor him. We all need other Christians who teach us, who invest in our lives. There's this model in Scripture. It's called the Paul Timothy Barnabas. We need to have a Paul in our life who who teaches us, who leads us. We need to have a Barnabas in our life, someone who's kind of walking that same race with us, who's encouraging us. And eventually, we want to have a Timothy in our life who we're investing our life in. And as I say, we need to have a Timothy in our life. Start with your own kids, right? And invest in The next generation is the future of the church. Who have been the Pauls in your life? Just think about that for a second. You know, it might be cool if you text that person. You say, man, thanks. Thanks for investing in my life. Do you have a Barnabas in your life? I know our men's group sometimes, we're sharpening each other. We're Barnabasing together. We're holding each other accountable. We're encouraging each other. And who is your Timothy? Now, as I look at this room, trust me, there is someone who you're further along in in the spiritual walk. I know you guys. We've got some good dudes in here. You don't have to know a ton. You just have to know more than someone who you can help. Give you an example. If you're having a quiet time on a regular basis, and someone who's a Christian has never really had a quiet time, you can help them have a quiet time. Something that small. Man, the good news is worth discipling someone over. It's powerful. <coughs> you know, I talk about this vision about making disciples. Because today what I want us to do is realize as a church, it's time for us to take even a further step and say, we want to even make disciples 
more effectively. But, you know, we have this vision illustration with non-believer, convert, disciple, disciple maker. And one time I was sharing it with a student on campus. And uh, I was like, hey, man, do you want to? He was a Christian. I was like, do you want to be a disciple maker? And the guy looks at me. And I was on full-time staff with the campus ministry at the time. He goes, I don't want to be a full-time minister. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about full-time ministry. I'm saying, do you want to be a part of God's vision? Regardless of what you do, you could be a part of making disciples. And that's the vision we're talking about. We got the big race going on, the uh, horse race this, this weekend. I know nothing about horse racing, but I did watch the movie Sea Biscuit. Anybody seen Sea Biscuit before? One person? Okay. Man, what's beautiful about Sea Biscuit? This horse who like broke all these records. I'm not going to try to tell you about him because I really don't understand him. But the cool thing about this movie was the, the guy who saw Seabiscuit saw what he could be when no one else saw it. Like he saw greatness in this horse that everyone else thought was lazy, no good, and couldn't win a race. And he believed in this horse. And this horse ended up breaking all these crazy records. And that's what Barnabas did with Paul, right? Barnabas saw Paul and he was like, man, I see something great in this person. I see something that he doesn't even see yet. And wasn't he right? This man went on to write most of the books in the New Testament. This man pioneered the gospel to the hardest places where it had never been heard before. And it wouldn't have happened if one man could not see that in a person. Guys, I want to say two things. Because of the good news, isn't it awesome that God sees that in us? Maybe you had a great week this week in your walk with Christ. It wasn't as great, but whether it was great or not, that God sees what you're going to be eventually. He sees the masterpiece at the end, the finished product. Isn't that awesome? Man, the good news in Christ is so great that in 1998, shows you how old I am, when I believed in Jesus, man, I was rough around the edges. I was pretty rough, but I was really rough back then. The moment I believed, God saw what I was going to become and eventually be. Isn't that awesome? Man, that I was a child of God. And I think that's how God wants us to start looking at other people. And there, there might be a person at your work who's the most ungodly person. I mean, this person might be doing all the crazy things. And what if we started looking at that person and saying, man, if that person only believed the gospel, could you picture what he would be? That's the kind of vision Barnabas had. Maybe there's a Christian who's struggled their whole life and you look at that person and you say, man, God has a great plan for his life. Or maybe it's your kid who's thrown a fit all week and talked back. My, my daughter yesterday, here's what she said to me. We were at the volleyball tournament and I kissed her. And she goes, dad, it's embarrassing when dads kiss their daughters in public. This is my youngest daughter. I'm like, what? Now I can't even kiss my daughter in public. But maybe it's seeing our kids as one day, like Paul saw Timothy, being world changers for Christ, even in their worst moments. And that's what Barnabas had, and I think that's why he was such a great disciple maker. Guys, if we want to be disciple makers, we have to be generous. And we have to have vision. There's one more non-negotiable trait of a disciple maker, and it's this. They are spirit-filled. Acts 11.24 says this. 
And as I read this, wouldn't this be a great line to be said about any person? For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Wouldn't that be a great thing if people would be like, man, that guy's a good man. That guy's a good woman. They're full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians that when you believe in the Gospel, God actually sends His Spirit in you and He seals you until the day of redemption. In English, that means when you believe in Jesus, God is saying, I am going to finish what I started and you are going to heaven. I am sealing you until the day of redemption. Isn't that awesome? Isn't it awesome that God is going to finish what He starts in us? And because He has sealed us, because we have His Spirit, because He cannot leave you if you're a Christian, the Bible says this. It says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I love the story of the preacher who a guy came up to him and he said, why do you keep talking about being filled by the Spirit? And the preacher says, because I leak. Right? It's a command. You might be full of the Spirit today, like, man, I'm full with the Spirit. And tomorrow you might wake up grumpy. What's the solution? Be filled with the Spirit. Do you think if you wake up in the morning and say, God, I don't want to spend time with you. I'm grumpy today, but I know I need to. Fill me with your Spirit. Do you think God's going to say, no, not giving it to you, man. I'll give you little. No, he wants, us to, he wants us to ask, and He wants to give us more of the Spirit. The problem with us isn't that we want too much. It's we settle for too little. God wants to give us more than we can handle. And the Bible tells us to be filled with the Spirit. And it compares it to getting drunk. Right? When someone gets drunk, the shy person all of a sudden becomes unshy. The calm person starts doing things they wouldn't normally do. You guys got imaginations. I'm sure there's a lot of places you can run when you think about a person getting drunk, or maybe even if you've been drunk before. But that's what the Holy Spirit does to us. It makes us do things we're not accustomed to doing. I, uh, I'm a very unpatient person. I like to do things 100 miles an hour. And uh, we had a breaker go off in our house yesterday. And I almost killed myself. I'm not going to go into the story. But I had a buddy telling me what to do on the phone. And I'm going fast. He's like, slow down. The Holy Spirit, when we're consumed by it, allows an unpatient person to be patient. It allows a grumpy person to be joyful be filled with the holy spirit we need to be filled every day guys i think about my friend who i shared with you at the beginning you know i could work i worked my tail off to get a college basketball scholarship but when it comes to god's vision we can't work for it we can't do it on our own. You know, one of our favorite verses we talk about in this church a lot is, unless the Lord builds a house, the labors labor in vain. Man, we can't do this in our own strength. As Jesus said, as we talked about in John, as we went through the book of John, we have to stay connected to the vine. And if we want to make disciples, if we want to be a disciple maker, we have to stay connected to Him. I want to share one thing as we get ready to close up here. 
when we're connected to the Holy Spirit, the good news goes out. This is Acts 11, 20 through 22. But there were some men, the men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Notice, God was moving at these men. The gospel was going out. People were coming to Christ. And guess what? Barnabas wanted to be around that. When, when the church is filled with the Spirit, the gospel is going to go out. Guys, how are you doing on your Holy Spirit fill right now? Ask your spouse. No, don't ask your spouse. They might be like, no, no spirit here. But how are you doing for real? And I'm challenged with this. I think sometimes churches, you have extremes, right? You have those churches, that all they talk about is the Holy Spirit. It's like, man, I was coming to church today and that spot opened up in the parking lot because the Spirit led me. And you're like, dude, get away from me. That's too much. But I think the other extremes worse sometimes. Man, we're not even going to talk about the Holy Spirit. But if we want to be great disciple makers, man, we've got to be filled with the Spirit. And we've got to ask Him for it on a regular basis. What if this week, you said every day, God, fill me with your Spirit today. Whatever it is you're struggling with, God, give me more joy this week. And give me more patience. Give me more self-control. Probably shouldn't go back for that fifth brownie. I need some self-control. God wants to give us the Holy Spirit. Guys, this week, I want a couple things as we, we kind of finish up this series. I want you to think through, man, do you have a Timothy in your life? I love that exercise we just did because it lets you think there's so many ways we can do ministry. Start in your house. What about your work? What about your neighborhood? Man, what's God calling you to do there? What's your next step to take steps as a disciple maker? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much. I pray you'd give us um, just clarity. Lord, I pray as we look at Barnabas, Lord, you would challenge us on what our next steps needs to be, Lord. Lord, if anyone in here, including myself, or maybe all of us, I pray we'd say, Lord, offering you our time, treasure, and talent, God. I pray that you would grow us in generosity, God. Lord, I pray you'd grow us in vision, that we'd start seeing others as you see them. Not as what they are, but what they could become if you were in their lives. And Lord, lastly, I pray that you would really fill us with the Spirit this week. Lord, we can't make disciples apart from you. We thank you, and we're in awe that you would even use us to make disciples. So fill us with your spirit so we could be your, your characters, your actors in this great commission. In Jesus' name, amen.